Right, welcome back to my podcast, Stephen Sully Study. Um, got another wicked guest in front of me, an athlete, someone that has definitely got a very bright future ahead of him. Someone that is very confident and also known as a Romford Ball. So let me just touch into that straight away, your nickname, the Romford Ball, yeah. Johnny Fisher, okay? Where did that come from? Is it quite obvious because it's where you're from or did it come from your rugby day, for example? Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on, Steve. Really privileged and honoured to be here. And um, regarding the nickname, um, I think it sort of stemmed from the beginning when I was sparring out with Joe Joyce in Las Vegas when I was a university student. I was just doing a bit of training with Joe Joyce. I got an opportunity to fly out there and I thought I'd take the opportunity. And one of the American trainers out there, I was sparring a couple of other American heavyweights, like amateur super heavyweights coming up. And he said, you fight like a bull, man. You fight like a bull. The way my style was, I was very raw. Still am raw now, but even more raw then. And they just picked that up. And then someone at home just said, oh, you should be called the Romford Bull. And then it's just really caught on the name. It's, it's just easy to say. People people get where I'm from and stuff as well from it. So it's just sort of clicked on from there. I thought there might be a little bit of a lean-to with the old uh, Raging Bull. Yeah. You know, the old boxing film. Someone said, do it, the Raging Romford Bull. But I didn't want to make it too obvious that it was like Jake Lamotta because obviously he's a, he's a legend in himself. But I've, I've got an aggressive style. I fight like in a bullish manner so the Romford Ball was what we settled on just on that note of uh, I wrote down a little quote here okay and I've been uh, something I've been doing recently with my podcast trying yeah. to find different quotes from not necessarily the, the, the guests but people that have yeah. made quotes about you and it said this I got it from Sky you were uh, warned that sparring Joe Joyce would cost you a first in your uni degree yeah what, what does that mean so basically I was on track for I was studying history at Exeter University I was on track uh, on track for a first I was studying the Russian Revolution I was doing stuff on the Arab Islamic conquest of Spain aerial bombing of Germany in World War Two. so I, I do like history I enjoy it uh, very much but it came a point I got the opportunity SGM Boxing my managers now they said do you want to come out and fly out to Vegas for your for the last bit of term and See, see if you have a go at this boxing and have a bit of sparring with Joe Joyce. At that stage, I wasn't a professional. I'd had a handful of amateur fights, but I thought it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I might not ever get to go to Vegas again. If I do, it might be later in my life. So I spoke to my history faculty, spoke to the athletic union at uni, and they said, you will you'll probably still end up getting a 2-1, which is what you need for access to all your careers anyway. So I thought, why not take the chance? I was doing my dissertation whilst I was out there sparring with Joe Joyce. So I was sparring with him. I was going to the UFC Performance Institute doing our training there. Then 10, 11 o'clock at night, I was getting back and finishing my dissertation. But I wouldn't have changed it because the experiences I had out there were second to none. I've seen the uh, UFC training uh, camps. What did you just call it? It's said? called the UFC Performance Institute. They call it or UFC PI, they call I've it. I've seen it quite, you know, naturally with the people like the Conor McGregor's, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I picked up on it a few times when I was watching uh, All Access with Mayweather against yeah. him. And I always used to be quite fascinated with it because it looked like it was very high tech. It looked like it had everything. Yeah. Then I started seeing people like Joe Joyce and other yeah. other boxers and athletes yeah. use it. What was it? What's it just like? like? It's like it's so futuristic. It's like ahead of its time. It's like walking into a spaceship. All the doors open up from the floor, and uh, it's just a great space. You've got everything under one roof. So if you're uh, a combat athlete, you don't have to train anywhere else. You've got your recovery. You've got your your hot and cold pools. You've got your you're eating all your foods on site, and great state of the art gym as well. So. Um, what was quite impressive as well is that what I was talking about is because in that facility you'd have boxers who were training for the same fight to fight each other training at the same place so what they was thinking about doing when I was there is having like a red corner gym and then creating an exact same uh 
complete copy over the road, a blue corner gym. So they have two of the same facilities, exactly the same, both sides. So rival fighters can train in separate places, which I found quite surreal, really, because that facility was unbelievable. Yeah. I want to talk, talk to you about, you know, your fights and obviously where you're heading and building up your profile, etc. But I always like to understand the journey that you've gone on so far, because before you even went to university in Exeter, um, you know, your granddad, I think, boxed quite yeah. casually, yeah. Uh, your father. Yeah. But even before then, you know, when you was a kid, what was life like? I take it you're from Essex, Warford. Yeah. Um, was it always a given that you were going to go to university, then on to being an athlete? Or did you really, didn't really know what was going to happen? I didn't, I, honestly, I didn't. If you asked me in 2020, 2021, if I was going to be a professional boxer, I wouldn't have had a clue. I didn't know until, I've always been had my hand in the boxing. I've done it since I was six or seven years old. But football is always a massive part of part of your life, where we're from as well. You probably played football when you were young as well. I've always, always had football involved in our lives. My brother played at a good level, played for QPR until he was 16, 17. And um, it just sort of happened naturally that I fell back into boxing. Because what happened was I went to sixth form, played a bit of rugby there. My luck, first game of rugby I played, I broke my hand. So um, I had a little bit of an understanding of what rugby's like. It's very rough, very physical. And then I went to University Exeter, I played my first year of rugby there. And then I just took the boxing back up when my hand got healed. Just doing it for a bit of fitness to help with the rugby. And then had a couple of amateur fights at the university. Won on both my round one knockout. Sparred a few top pros. And then I got the opportunity to spar in Vegas and I carried on going with that. And it just one thing after the other. There was never any plan and then my manager just said, why don't we give it a shot? Sam Jones was the man who said, um, let's give it a shot and see where we end up. And from the debut, we could never have envisioned to be where we are now. I sell a lot of tickets. I've got a great fan base, really loyal supporters. And we're in a great position moving forward. And we're 5-0 and now. And I've just turned 23. So we're in a great position. And I'm very grateful for the support that I get to be in that position. Good man. So at un- university then, um, when I was coming out of school, I-, I was almost that kid. Do you know like when some people say the best uh, lives of my, sorry, years of my life is is at school? Yeah. For me, I was completely polar opposite. Yeah. Um, when I asked Charlie Mullins about his school uh, careers, he said, I really regret uh, leaving school young. I wish I would have left it even younger because yeah. he hated yeah. it that much. Uh, but then some people, they absolutely thrive in that environment and they go on to university, then they go on to having a great career in, in something. What, why did you kind of choose yeah. to go to Exeter? Because as you said, some people don't get on at school and that's, that's completely fine as well. I had a great time at school. I really applied myself and I just got on with, I had great teachers when I was at um, Marshalls Park School, Mr. Aylet, Paul Aylet, he was a great role model for me. And um, But as you said, it's not the be all and end all. I think in society today, everyone teaches you, you have to go to university to get on. I think, I don't I don't agree with that whatsoever because I know a lot of my mates from school now are doing fantastically well who were at school and just went straight into work. So I think there's a bit of a misconception in our society that you've got to go to higher education. That's not always the case. I think whatever you do, if you apply yourself to it, you can make your own path and do what you've got to do. So for me, going to university was a great experience because the people I met, uh, the relationships I made, the rugby that was a great experience because that grounded me as like a an athlete someone who wanted to be professional because they had a great rugby set up at Exeter and I enjoyed studying history so I thought to have the opportunity to go somewhere uh, completely different and experience that was brilliant but that doesn't mean you can't take other paths and I couldn't have gone in other ways and uh, been successful as well and even though I've never gone to university um, it should 
give you a level of independence, right? It does, definitely. Listen, I'm the sort of one, my mum does everything for me. She still does now. She makes my bed, she does all my cooking and stuff. Um, we give her a bit of stick for her cooking sometimes, but she's she's really good. She helps us all out. But you have to be independent when you're at university and it was a bit, it's a bit of a shock for a lot of people. So you do learn them skills yourself and you've got to go on your own. And I think that stood, stand me in good stead as well. So you play for Exeter uh, University yeah. as a rugby player. So like, okay, so... I do a little bit of boxing. Yeah. I've had 16 fights and planning to have a few more before yeah. I get a bit too old and 36 That's years it. of Keep age. Keep going. Yeah. Um, I played rugby at my school. I went to a school called Langley Park, which I is like, Park. like yeah. Beck- Beckenham. They're quite known for their rugby there. Yeah. And I can see, you know, from playing both, you know, doing both, how you can transfer it. But from your own words, as a pro athlete, as a pro boxer, how's the rugby helped you physically and also your mindset? Oh, it's been massive because um, you've been in that, what is with Exeter University, they feed directly into Exeter Chiefs who are the top rugby club in the country uh, in the last previous few years with the trophies that they've won. And for me to just mix with them boys, I've gone from playing virtually no rugby, one or two seasons at my sixth form, going into that mix. And uh, it was just the setup, the strength and conditioning facilities that, that they had, the discipline that you had to show, your diet, getting that right, the video analysis of before and after matches and things like that, that all brought me up on a diet of professional uh, professional sport and what it takes to be to be uh, a top athlete. Mm-hmm. But what I'm, I'm not going to say that I was one of the best rugby players there, but I kept going, I kept going. I got into that fresh first team. So the first year's first team, I got into that over a period of time. And just it, what it showed to me is just being involved with people who are better than you, people who are more experienced than you. That's how you grow as well. So it's not always a, a bad thing to be someone who's new to it. Go and throw yourself into a new environment and you can pick things up as you go. And it's, already stood me in good stead with my boxing career because I picked up things from the rugby days yeah do you feel like you know some of that power that you built from there like oh, you yeah. know like when you're cl- in close contact with another heavyweight sort of shrug them off yeah. and stuff like that I've got that base like I've always had that sort of raw strength and rugby just like harn- man power yeah yeah and rug- rugby harnessed that even more for me so me and Joe Joyce who's now my manager part of my management team we've had spars where we, we get physical and get rough and what what stood me in a, a good position is the fact that I've had that strength from rugby and that that sort of background in contact sport. Mm. Before I'm going to go on to, you know, the relationship with Joe Joyce, inspiring him, etc. just a laughing about uni. So like, I know you said you had a, an interest in history and you clearly done very well to get a 2-1 is, 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 is phenomenal. Um, most people when they go to university, they're not getting that, you yeah. know? Especially if he was on course to get a, a first as well. That's incredible. It was great. It's just a great to be able to do the whole experience as well, yeah. with rugby as well as that, and then going away and doing the boxing. And to come out with the degree still, I was just over the moon with that, which That's is great. Um, let's just say you didn't pursue boxing, though. What would the degree, well, how would you use yeah. your degree? Or was it just to do a course and then figure out what you're going to do so after? My plan was, what I was starting to get into gear for, was to do a law conversion course. So you do like a, you do your history degree for three years and then you do like a nine month conversion course because the thing with lawyers I heard this uh, I read a statistic somewhere 50% of them don't actually have their degree in law they do something else first and then convert it so you do a GDL and then I was going to go on to do a barrister's course but being a barrister and doing all that that was that's hard work in itself the amount of dedication that they have the the long hours they do so I well, as much as I would have enjoyed that because I enjoy the sort of research side of it and the critical thinking side of it that that brings which is similar to history um I'm so much more enjoying what I'm doing now and having the opportunity to pursue what I would have dreamed of as a kid to be a professional athlete. So I'm just soaking it all in and I don't want to waste this opportunity that I've got. I was going to be, well, I was uh, for a short time at Barrister's Club. I was, yeah. 2022 old building, Lincoln's Inc. 
Um, I've got to be honest, I didn't. I didn't really enjoy it. I went went from a a building site as a plumber, qualified, hated it, went there because my mindset was if I could be in a suit rather than be on a building site and be dirty, I'd become become rich. Get more, yeah. And that was my my naive mindset. And anyway, I ended up having a motorbike accident and I thought about my life. And then anyway, I found sales and here I am a few years later. Um, what I like about boxing, being an athlete though, um, especially speaking to so many you know good athletes and high-profile people, is is the lifestyle it brings. Yeah. I'm not saying business or a career and other stuff doesn't bring that, no. but I think you're forced more into that kind of lifestyle. The way you eat, the way yeah. you train, the way you think, who you're around, um, traveling the world. You're exactly right. You know, it's yeah. such a such a great privileged thing to do. Exactly that, and even you talk about where you go, what you eat, and all, that, and the discipline side of it as well. Um, I see. I feel that when I go out now. So I, don't, I never drink. I don't drink a single drop of alcohol. But even when I'm out, like I've been off for a little a few weeks with with my hand. Like even going out to cl- like if you're going out on not I don't go out to clubs, but of a night going around bars and pubs and things. I feel weary and I feel like should I really be here? Should I be doing this? But feel exposed a bit. No, like and I. It's not what an athlete should be doing. But at the same time, my strength and conditioning, my training says you have to unwind from that state of sort of being on it all the time in camp you have to come down because otherwise what do you have to build up to when you start a training camp so I'm not misbehaving or doing anything wrong when I'm out it's just my mindset has changed completely because all I'm concerned about is what's going to make me a better boxer what's going to make me a better fighter but sometimes you have to take your foot off the gas a little bit and think it's time to rest and recover because that's the best thing you can do for your mind as well would you say that in your own words I know you're on your, your start of your journey but would you have to okay there's the element of being disciplined but what about obsessed do you have to be obsessed with it in order to become the best you have to be you has to be your life especially in boxing as you know it more as much as me you, there's nowhere to hide because all the effort that you put in will come to fruition in that fight if you haven't trained hard if you haven't gone to sleep correctly if you've gone out and partied too much one night or you've not ate the right food it will all show in that ring and there's nowhere to hide especially now i'm fighting in front of a lot of my supporters and stuff i owe it to them as well to give them my best performance their people come in paying their hard-earned money to come and watch me and to support me and and just being on the journey so i owe them my best performance so i have to be obsessed with my goal yeah i know um you said you don't don't drink and i totally admire that about yeah. professional athletes i yeah. think that's the only way you can be you yeah. have to be I on think it so. or, not, or nothing, nothing at all but what about like university and rugby right yeah that's like a known thing yeah. that they all drink they all do silly games yes. there's loads of birds around obviously from Essex as well so typically a lot of Essex fella tracks a lot of birds because you're very <laughs> confident and stuff you're, yeah. you're well known for doing it that kind of stuff was there a period of your life where you went through that kind of stage or you've never been inter- interested in the drinking and partying? Never drinking, never, even at, when I played rugby there. And a lot of the boys were like shocked because like, when you turn up, you're an 18-year-old kid. Like I still was like a boy when I went to university and I changed a lot through the training and stuff. My physique got bigger, I got stronger. But a lot of the boys, the older boys, the 22, 23-year-olds, they've gone through that system where they've been at the bottom of the pile and they've had to be sort of not bullied, but they've, they're picked on and they're, it's part of their character building to be become one of the top boys like it's, mm. it's the way the hierarchy of our people work isn't it yeah. in any part any situation environment rugby just sort of uh, show, shone, a, shone a spotlight on it so they tried to pick on me and say why are you not doing the drinking games there was actually one uh, incident I was selling tickets for one of my boxing matches when I was uh, done a boxing match at university and they were saying why are you selling tickets you're a rugby boy you're not allowed to sell tickets for other societies and I said 
I can do what I want, mate. What are you going to do? And I saw the fear run through his face and I thought, these boys is all the facade. Like they're just doing it because they've got a, they're trying to build up to the ego of what the rugby boys are. So it is, it's not just the fact that you're partying and drinking, but it's not being coerced or bullied by the other boys in the team. Not, they don't mean it in a horrible way. It's just the way that the, the, the environment, the culture of rugby, you know what it's like. And, um, to be a part of that and then to I think for me to be my own person in that situation that stood me as a as a strong person in the end as well so you have to be away from them distractions so you never drunk in your life didn't drink I've, I've listen I've had a, probably had a Guinness once or twice with my dad in the pub but I've never drunk to excess never been drunk ever in my life so good. but I think that stood me in a in a good in a in a good manner because I am where I am now. Maybe if I did drink, I wouldn't be where I am. Definitely. But you said there's distraction. There's always distractions at university. There's nice young ladies that you go and meet, these girls that you've ne probably never met before in your life from posh backgrounds and stuff. And it, there are distractions, but you've got to be disciplined. You've got to be controlled. And that's something that boxing teaches you to, to, to do that anyway. Definitely. So talk about your spars then. So, you, you, so you, your professional career, you're five and oh. Yeah. Uh, you've stopped or knocked out four yep. out, out of five. Um, you spar people like Joe Joyce. I'm going to actually try and think of this quote that he said, I think, on Sky, which was, he is literally the human version of a wrecking machine. Yeah. Um, elaborate on that. Who, Joe Joyce? Yeah. He's, he's like a human Terminator. I'll tell you a little fact that I've, I've said before as well. Um, I've seen him spar in Vegas and, listen, Joe Joyce don't always spar amazingly. No one always does, but... He always turns up on a night, which is the main thing. And I've seen him spar someone and he got caught with four left hooks in a row from a big, huge Samoan, like what reminded me of like a Samoan rugby player sort of build. Four left hooks flush on the chin and he just kept walking forward. Didn't budge one simple single bit. He, he, looked, he walked back and then just came like a mummy, just like a Terminator walking back again. And I actually learned from someone that he'd done a bone density test at uh, the Allianz Park, the Saracens training ground. And um, he's actually got the bone density six times of a normal human being. So it's like superhuman strength that he's got. So I'd like to see anyone try and knock him out because I don't think it's, it's humanly possible to do so. Um, I've met him before. So I used to... So Someone has been on my podcast uh, before, a guy called Ruben Tabares. Yeah, I know Ruben. Yeah, yeah down uh, Haymaker. Yeah. And I used to spar a guy called Ollie Edwards down there, who's, yeah. who's a pro. And uh, Joe Joyce was down there at the time, and I spoke to him a few times. And Ruben used to say, listen, this guy is one of the most fear people to, to spar. Yeah. Um, I, can I say this? I mean, allegedly... He's stuck it on AJ before and he's come out the other side as in AJ, um, not in a, in a great way. Um, again, I've just heard it through, yeah. through. I don't know if this is a fact or whatever else, but listening to what you said about the identity thing, also watching him against, like when you watch him, I'm going to be honest, doesn't look like the prettiest yeah. fighter to watch. He looks kind of, you, some may say, not he robotic. Slow, slow, robotic, ponderous, yeah. But he, he looks like he's quite predictable, yeah. but he seems to cause problems for but everybody. that's what's so deceptive about him. He doesn't look like he's uh, so fluent and whatever, but he's got great uh, timing. He can read boxes very well. He's got experience. He's fit. He's strong. He's got an unbelievable chin and he can punch. If you were putting ingredients together for a heavyweight, there would be the five or six that would be the top of your list, wouldn't they? So... Whatever he, whatever he looks like, the end result is that he's got the capabilities of a top heavyweight boxer. So you can't knock him for that. And as you said, sparring, sparring is only sparring. Some people have a good days, some people have bad days, but he's mixed it with the best in sparring and he's beginning to mix it with the best in the professional ring. I mean, he's done a good job on Daniel Dubois, uh, Carlos Takam, he got, got rid of him as well. So 
he's 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 reaching up to that top level now, and he's he's on the edge of a of a big world title fight. Absolutely. So, sparring someone like him, how much um, influence does it give? your career, your style, how much have you learned from someone like him? Well, I'm just, I'm so unbelievably grateful to Joe. If you ever meet, you've met Joe, he is the nicest man you ever meet in a life, like the definition of a gentle giant. He's a but friendly giant. So, yeah. such a such a nice down-to-earth laid-back man, but I can't thank him enough for the experience he gave me when I was an 18, 19-year-old kid sparring pros for the first time. Like, I was completely raw. I'd had two senior amateur fights. I'd had, no, I'd had no knowledge or experience of professional boxing whatsoever. So I was just throwing myself in there and I was giving it to him like as much as I could because that's the only way I could survive at that point. I was doing two, three rounds at a time and jumping out. And you could tell I was giving him pressure, but he could deal with it and he's the experienced man. But then over time, I, I learned different skills as well and it brought me on and developed me to be able to have experience as well. And now we have spars and we're, we're having six to eight rounds together and it just shows the progression that I've got from him and that's all down to him giving me the opportunity to spar him like a someone who's a, a, a veteran at that level and I'm just learning and picking the brains off of him and I, I can't be more grateful for that. And uh, the other people that you sparred, uh, talk to me about that, so Dave Allen. Dave Allen, I sparred him, he was the first pro I ever sparred and uh, that was when I was at university not boxing at all really and um, he was just getting ready for his Lucas Brown fight when he topped the bill at the O2. Stopped him with a body shot. Stopped him with a body shot, was at the peak of his powers and I'm not going to lie, Dave Allen belted me a little bit in that day but what I learned about myself there, I've done six rounds, the most I've ever sparred in my life, six rounds. And I kept coming, I kept coming. Darren Barker was there as well and he said the same thing. I showed my toughness and I showed that I want to be here and I want to, I've got a chance to do something in this sport. So we've all been there in spars when you've not had your best day or you're sparring someone a lot better than you. And that's what it was that day. But since then, I've improved and improved and improved. I sparred Daniel Dubois, had good spars with him and I've sparred the, the top of the pile in Tyson Fury and that was an unbelievable experience to go up there and spar with him. Yeah, what well, I was going to say, I mean, he's a massive guy. Yeah. He's very slick. He's unlike a lot of pro heavyweights he's very uh, he dances around like he's a, he's a super yeah, he middleweight does. but he's also got that style now from working with Sugar Hill uh, Cronk Jim going for the knockout style so he's developing that power we saw it in his last few fights with uh, Deontay Wilder that he can he can seriously bang now as well so he's added that sort of get to his game as well so look 5-0 um, oh, um, you're 23 years of age I mean it's just incredible because I'm 36 right yeah. I'm looking at you thinking man you've got such a great time ahead of you I hope so you I know so. I'm not an old man but no, you know, no you're not I'm, 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 I've got two you've kids you've lived a now. life a bit more than me yeah, yeah and I'm yeah. looking I'm thinking Jesus like 13 years ago like to be single be a pro athlete doing something you love got that you know you're going to travel the world you've got people like Sam Jones obviously yeah. Joe Joyce around you I mean you really have got a great foundation now, I've got to say that. I've got a great foundation, but it's only a great foundation if I keep my head screwed on and I know how much hard work's ahead of me. And I do know that to get to the top of the heavyweight mountain, I might not even either get there. But if I keep progressing the way I am and I keep learning, I keep trying hard, I could maybe get an area title, then I could maybe get an English title, then maybe the British title. If I get a British title, I'll be over the moon. But once you get to that British level, the world you always do, you can go on to do other things. So... I'm just grateful for the position I'm in and I'm looking forward to the journey, as you say, but it all depends on my ability to stay focused and stay disciplined. Do you ever look at like Usyk or look at AJ or look at any of these top fighters and think, okay, look, I'm not there now. Of course not. You know, I'm only five, five in, but the way I'm progressing, the power, you know, the education that I'm getting, the IQ. Yeah. 
Five years' time, I'm going to give these people a serious problem. Well, think of how much... I've looked at how much I've progressed in the last year as a pro boxer. I've had five fights in one year, and I look at my debut, and I look at my last fight, and the level of opponent I fought in my last fight, someone who's been the distance with Oscar Rivas, Spanish heavyweight champion, who's operated at a good level. If I started with him as my de- on my debut, I wouldn't have been able to beat him, probably. But it just shows the level of skill that I've, 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 I've shown and I've, I've developed. And yeah, so if I could do that in one year in five years time when I've got even more experience why not why wouldn't I be able to mix it with these guys and to be able to mix it with them guys would be an honour and would be an achievement in itself do you know like bar the so I like to ask this to, to a lot of athletes and also to a lot of artists because in, in some some views it's kind of the same Yeah. so what, I, what I'm getting at is this when I ask artists or athletes how much money you want to make and the reason why I like to ask that yeah. is because this at the end of the day is your career it's no yeah. different if you was a plumber no. or no different if you was in, in something else but sometimes artists athletes they shy away from that because it's all about the art and I get it you yeah, know I, I get, I get that, that as well but at the same time, you're you going to have financial aspirations. Yes. You want to feed your family. Of course. You, who, who, who wouldn't want a nice car? Who wouldn't exactly. want a nice holiday, you know? So do you ever think about the amount of money you want to achieve or kind of financial goals that you want to get to over the next 5, 10, 15 oh, years? Of course you think about it. But the way I've been sort of seeing it, the, the, the more success I have in the ring and the better I perform, the more the financial game will come from that anyway. I signed a great deal with Matchroom uh, in December and that's really put me in a great position. And um, the way I look at it, it's not just about my selfish aspirations of being a boxer and, and trying to win all these titles. I've got to think about not only myself, but my family as well, because they all support me. My mum supports me, my dad, my brothers. You want to help change their life as well. And I want to get to a stage eventually where I can do that. I've just I've employed my mum as my personal assistant and I've given her a little job and I'm hopefully trying to get my dad involved a little bit more. And that's what you want to do because what's the point of going all this way to become a boxing champion or meet your aspirations like that if you can't bring your family with you and make it better for them as well? So of course, that's a part of it. That's a part of life. We all want to earn money and we all want to be able to live comfortably and that's all you can ask for, be healthy and that's what you want. So signing with Matchroom... Um it seems like it's probably the best place for any boxer to be. It's not knocking Frank Warren or yeah. anybody else, but I just think Eddie Hearn does it in a way where he just brings the best out of these particular he individuals. Does. Not necessarily always about their boxing talent, but their profile. Exactly. Just, he just he just nurtures their pedigree into something which is incredible. Look at what he's done to all these great fighters. Yeah. Um, What's it like being on the match room and what's it like to be liaising with Eddie Hearn? Oh, it's brilliant. As, as I said, I'm a boxing fan first and foremost and I've always grown up watching his IFL TV interviews, watching Eddie Hearn and watching how AJ's been rising up as well and Eddie Hearn's a, the, big, the best promoter in the world and it was a dream when I first signed back in 2020, 2020, 2021 and um, to then renew a deal which is for, for a good few years it's just an unbelievable uh, feeling. And when I look at Eddie, I think he senses of a bit of nostalgia and he likes the fact I'm from Romford. Obviously, the Matchroom gym was originally in Romford and a lot of our local people from his local area as well. And I think he feels an affinity with us for that for that as well, especially his dad as well, Barry. He's an absolute legend. And uh, to have him as well, you don't just get Eddie Hearn, you get Barry Hearn as well. And uh, I think under their guidance, I'm going to be in, a, in the best position I possibly can. So I'm very grateful for their help. If, uh, like I've listened to a few podcasts with Barry Hearn. Yeah. And, you know, he's worth a serious amount of money. I think allegedly on the podcast, he's worth over 100 million, which is a phenomenal amount of money. Yeah. Um, obviously got the nice lifestyle with that. And then you've got Eddie Hearn, which is Barry Hearn, but kind of like, you know, more of a cockiness to him, which yeah. I actually really like. I yeah. think I like the 
the kind of cool arrogance to him and he's got swagger and stuff. Yeah. And I just like the way he comes across and especially with his own podcast as well. I just think, again, he's quite relatable and he I is. think, you know, a lot of people, a lot of boxers he pick is. up on that. And the thing with uh, Barry Hearn, he's the one who started it off. He's the he's the main man of Matrim in the sense of he's the founder of it and, and done all the hard work to start it off. But you can't knock Eddie for what he's done. He's really taken it to the next level. Maybe four or five years ago, we was all thinking, a lot of people were thinking, oh, look, Eddie's got it because of what his dad done. But... You can't knock what he's done. He's taken it to the next level. And uh, you can see the passion. Forget the money side of it. He's passionate. And he's when I watch him ringside, when I'm watching it at home as well, and he's just so involved with these boxers, he really feels a, a relationship with the fighters that he's got. And that's a really important thing for me because you want to build a personal bond with someone as well. You don't want to just be, oh, this is, you're my promoter, I'm the boxer. You pay me, I pay, we, this is the cut. You want them to be part of the journey with you because this is life at the end of the day and you want to create memories with people. Definitely. Um, we spoke off air about your hand, so yes. just just uh, go over like you know this is an injury obviously you got at the moment, Johnny. Yeah. So uh, before my fight on the thirtieth of October, which was my second from last fight, uh, the first one in front of a crowd at uh, the O2, it was, it was a great great night. But there was a little bit of an issue with it before in in the camp. And I just kept getting a little niggle down like my knuckle here and a bit of inflammation there. But it wasn't so bad at that point. I got a great physio. Shout out to John Winters, physio, JW physio. He, he really sorted me out mentally as well. Uh, we taped my hand up nice and I didn't feel any pain. And great, we got through the fight, round two knockout. Uh, brilliant, brilliant night uh, and great memories. But And then I started the next camp and I started getting little niggles in my hand and my thumb and stuff like that. And it's just something wasn't right. And then in, in the pads warming up for the fight, the last one, um, I caught it funny on the pads there and it's just something psychologically in my brain was telling me something not right in my hand. So I got it in the second round of the fight, I crunched it really bad. Like I felt a big crunch and I thought, right, there's something definitely right here. But in a way, it was a blessing in disguise because I got six rounds out. I had a great experience. I had to deal with a cut for the whole fight as well. So I'm glad I've got that performance in and won against a durable opponent. But we got it checked out after the fight and I've got like a, a fracture down my metacarpal bone. And all this, there's a thing called a sagittal band that was all damaged and my ligament damage. And what the doctor said is, you basically been boxing non-stop for two years. You've got to give your hands a rest because this is an early warning sign. The fracture can heal itself, luckily at this stage, but just hitting them small pads with little gloves on, smashing the bag too much. You don't have to be doing that all the time now. I've proven to people that I can punch and that I've got power. It's about the longevity of my career now as well. So I've got to be sensible in that. I've got to show off to people or do all these flashy combinations on the pads. I've got to think about the longevity of my career. So I'm taking a bit of time out now. I've got a great doctor. My management are great. And um, a few weeks in this and then I'll be I'll be back and I'm going to make sure I manage the workload, workload correctly. I'm quite glad it's happened now because I can learn from that experience and it's all in the bank for when we get to the bigger nights ahead. Yeah. Do you know, like... Just being a fan of boxing myself, doing it a little bit, you yeah. know, uh, not quite obviously the level you guys yeah, are at, yeah. but I'm, I train with a lot of pros down bo bo boxing booth, and I and, and I've interviewed a lot from Bradley yeah. Skeet to Harlem Eubank to Ted Cheeseman or Harvard Davis. Yeah, I've had a lot of pro boxers on there, and I get the kind of psychology and also the the culture around it. And my kind of breakdown on it is a it's a hard thing to master. I tell you why. You've got the alpha male inside of you, which yeah. is go, 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 let's have it, let's have it. Yeah. And like, you want every spa to be tough. You want every weight session to be really heavy. You, you want to go for the hardest runs and you really want to push yourself to the max. But 
if you keep on burning the candle at both ends like that, eventually something's going to give. Exactly. You're going to be fatigued, you're going to get tired, you're going to break you know. Or in sparring, so I've had Tris Dixon on, on yeah. my podcast who wrote a book called Damaged, and he highlighted something to me which I'm very, very conscious about now, which is most of the damages to the brain isn't actually done in the fight. Yes, there are some, but most of the time it's done with the, the heavy sparring there, yeah, the heavy definitely. impact. Definitely. So. How do you get that right as a young man, as a young athlete, 23 years of age, to try and get that balance right between push yourself at the right times, but then take it back to Yeah. Well, as you said about uh, that, that alpha male mentality, you, you want to be nonstop 100%, and that's, that's me down to a T. That's why I've lived my life in my rugby, my gym work, my boxing. I've wanted to be the guy who works the hardest, but you've also got to be working the smartest as well. And the thing about trying to be tough, tough men have short careers. It's a well-known saying. So I've got to learn now to calm that down I'm 23 I'm getting I'm not I'm not young I'm not old but I'm a man now and I've got to learn to put myself first and it's got to be mature about it I haven't got to show off to anyone smashing the pads and all this stuff and it's just getting that balance right training hard but training smart as well you're still going to have your tough spars but you don't need to spar tough three times a week you spar tough one time a week or two once every fortnight have a really tough spar but you still need that because that's what sets you up for the fight you need to feel that you need to feel that grit of sparring someone more experienced, stronger, tougher than you and having multiple rounds with them. But it's about managing that workload. If you have a tough spar on a Wednesday, on a Tuesday, don't go out running an hour in the evening or sprints in the evening. You've got to think about the challenge that's ahead. So what I've learned with Mark Tibbs, who's my trainer, and Jimmy Tibbs is to dial back. Before I went to them, I was so hot-headed and so wanting to just do everything 100 miles an hour. But... If you do that the whole way through a training camp, 100 miles an hour, by the time you get to the fight, you're going to be overcooked. So the art of getting ready for a fight and peaking, which I do really well with my strength and conditioner, Sonny Cannon, it's about getting ready for that pushing stage when you get to the fight. So that's something I'm slowly learning and getting into my head because if you don't get it into your head, you can't change it anyway. So um, Mayweather, one of my favourite fighters, most people who are, if they, if I call them... Most people that look at boxing, let's say the casual fight yeah. fans, I don't think they really appreciate exactly what he used to do. Yeah. But anyone who does boxing, who is a serious boxing fan, I think a lot of people, even if you didn't like his profile, yeah. him as a boxer oh, you can't was, what he's done, no. was incredible. Like, he's you know, incredible. like defensive genius. And he always used to say, the less you get hit, the longer your career. That's exactly. what his dad taught him. Exactly. And, and, and even now he's talking about doing more exhibition fights, which are not granted professional fights, yeah. but still there's a risk of getting hit exactly. and there's a risk of getting hurt. And he's making a lot of money. Well, we fought Logan Paul. I know he's no good, Logan Paul, in terms of the boxing ability, but he's still a much bigger man than Floyd Mayweather. Younger. Uh, younger and fitter and stronger. And uh, to do, keep doing that at his age is very impressive. I know. Yeah. What, what is he now? Like 40, 45, I think. 45, yeah. 46. You know, yeah. it's, it's incredible. It's impressive. I know I'm going to get onto your, your view on the exhibition stuff in a second, yeah. but so he says, get hit. If you get hit less, then your career is going to last longer. And I fully, fully agree with that. But what happens when you go into the, into the sparring and you want to get stuck in because, not because you want to just tear up with someone, but you know, your trainer is yeah. giving you certain pointers and you've yeah. got to learn to stay in the pocket a bit yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. But, but you are going to get caught. How do you get that balance right? You've got to get the balance right. And well, the good thing is I've got a great trainer in Mark Tibbs. So he'll tell me when, right, he'll say, right, go on, John, have a go now. 
And you'll say, right, pull back, we work on this, we work on that. But one of the things that you've got to do, as you said, I've got to learn to work on the pocket, work in the pocket a little bit more because that's just part of becoming a professional boxer. You learn that as you go. And I'm especially me, who's someone who's not had the amateur experience to do that. So having a great trainer in your corner, someone who can tell you when you can go, when you don't want to go. Because when I first went with him, he said, we're not going to get rid of the Romford ball that bullish mentality that aggression you've got because that's what's going to help you finish people off but it's about disguising that making it cuter making it work better making it more efficient so you don't blow as much so having someone who can teach you that is just unbelievable to have that on your doorstep as well it's literally 15 minutes to the gym from my house which mm. is great mm. so uh, an art of a good trainer i guess is I when so. uh, is when uh, they they can identify a style and rather than try and change it just actually home, it. home in on that yeah. style, but give you other attributes. Because Mark makes a point of whatever fighter he gets, don't change them. You can't change what they are. If you're a boxer, you're a boxer. If you're a fighter and a brawler, you're going to be a brawler. But you can develop that style and make it as best as it can be. Because all boxers, you know that, know it. Like they've all got different styles. Yeah. Um, but do you know when you're amateur, I know you only have a, a, a very small amateur yeah. career. Do you think as a pro, as an, as an athlete, you've missed that or it hasn't, you don't really think about that too much. Of course, having an amateur experience is going to stand you in good stead when you, if you've gone to the Olympics or you've been a Team GB athlete. But for me, it would have been a case of, because I only done it for a year or so before I turned pro, I'd have to learn how to be an amateur boxer and then relearn how to be a professional boxer. And the opportunity was there for me. It was just out of, after COVID as well, just coming through COVID. The opportunity for me to become a professional boxer, I thought I'd grab it with both hands. Could I have done a couple more years if the top, if the world events and everything that was going on was a little bit more settled? Maybe I could have, but I can't. I'm not regretting what I'm what I've done because look where I am now. The fan base I've got, the position I'm in. I'm with Matchroom and Eddie Hearn. If I stayed pro uh, amateur for two more years, I might have fell out of love with the sport, or something might have happened. I could have got an injury. So we can all say this is what could have, should have, would have happened. But I am where I am now, and I'm in a great position anyway. So there, there is a lot of examples like Bernard Hopkins and yeah. This many others that haven't had a, a pedigree of, of an amateur career, but they become world-class boxers. Yeah. Some of them go on to become world champions in multiple weights yeah. and, and do phenomenally well. And do you know what? Someone that doesn't, when I think about boxing, I don't normally think about this guy, but just on this note of no amateur career, but now he's a pro boxer, is is someone like Jake Paul. Yeah. Um, look, listen, he hasn't really fought anyone proper, in my own opinion. Yeah. He's fought UFC fighters or whoever else, but... You know he's making a name for himself. And he's getting and he, them out of there, and 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 he's yeah. making a name for himself. And he's got he's got no fighting pedigree. No. So I mean, what's your what's your view on and someone do like know, that? You um, know, one thing about Jake Paul. One thing I know he's got a really really good trainer in BJ Flores because I met BJ Flores in Las Vegas when I was out there with Joe, and what an unbelievable trainer he is. So if you've got someone who's dedicated, someone who's willing to put the work in, which Jake Paul clearly is, although he's got this huge social media following, he goes to Puerto Rico and he trains and he's got this camp with a, and he's got a great trainer, then why not? Why can't he be the best that he can be? And he, out of all the YouTube boxers, he ain't actually that bad compared to the other ones. I'm not saying he's a world beater, he's going to be a world champion. Probably not. I probably won't be. I'm, there's a chance I won't be a world champion. Who knows? But you can't knock what he's done, the people that he's bringing to the sport, and I think he'd give Tommy Fury a good fight, if I'm being honest. Mm. I was actually gutted. Yeah. I was actually gutted that didn't happen. What do you think happened there? Um, he could have. You've got to take it for what he says. I don't. Think, I don't know Tommy Fury personally. I know Tyson Fury, obviously, from sparring him. But if he's got, a, if he's got a rib injury, he's got a rib injury. The only bad thing was that it was quite ironic, really. The week before, John Fury was going. 
um, Tommy Fury beat Jake Paul with broken ribs and uh, and uh, any any sort of injury. And then a week later, he actually breaks his ribs. So it's quite ironic in a way. But listen, if he's injured, you can't do anything about it. I know yeah. it's, it's just a shame because we all wanted to see that fight, didn't we? We did. We definitely did. I touched on the whole Mayweather thing and I always like to ask, I asked Tris Dixon this and he was like, he just, you know, I can quote what he said. He was just like, I don't even consider it as boxing yeah. when YouTubers fire ex-pros, etc. But my mindset is, in, in any other sport, tennis, football, whatever, they ha- do have exhibition matches yeah. where they can earn still earn money after their career. Yeah. And normally boxers, they get to a height and then they teeper off and they start getting bashed up by the up-and-coming yeah. people. Whereas Mayweather went 50-0 and 0, and then even now, now he's retired, he's still getting, still getting tens of millions yeah. of dollars because he's doing exhibition fights. And for me... I just think that's a good business Exactly. Move. And the bottom line is people need to make money and people want to make money. And if people want to watch it, which clearly they do because they're making millions, then why not what they're doing? Yeah, it's not world title fights and it's not uh, unbelievable standard of boxing, but that's nothing for us to knock because it's up to them what they do. And if people want to watch it, they can tune in and they clearly are watching. So fair play to them. If they're making money out of it, it's up to them. Absolutely. So I, I know it's... Um you know, you're not thinking about retirement anytime soon yeah. because you're at the start of your journey. But do you ever think, you know, 10 years, 15 years from now, let's just say you've won multiple belts, world champion maybe, and you become even higher profile than you are right now. Where do you think life's going to take you, uh, Johnny? Uh, I honestly couldn't tell you because the last two years, I didn't know what where I was going to be taken then. I was literally, before I turned pro, I was selling meat on the back of a van with my dad during lockdown to try and keep our family business going. And then a few weeks later, Sam Jones says, do you want to turn pro vestiaire? And it just goes from there. So the exciting thing is I don't really know where it's all going. And um, even my boxing journey, I don't know where that's going to end up. And that's what's exciting for people to watch as well, see how far we can go. But I'd love to, if I think about what I want to do after boxing, I'd love to have my own gym or something like that and be involved in the fitness industry in some way uh, and just do something like that, be involved in boxing in some capacity. I like doing things like this as well, maybe a bit of punditry or something like that. So uh, there's all avenues that you can explore, but I'd love to be involved in boxing in some capacity because that's what we love. That's my passion. Yeah. Um, you mentioned about your 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 mum, very close to your mum. She yeah. does a lot for you. I'm not trying to antagonise yeah. you when I say this, but would you say you're like a mummy's boy? Yeah, of course, of course I am because she looks after me. The way where we're from, where I'm from, my background, the mum's always very homely. They look after you. They 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 cook all your dinners. They they look after everything for you. And now that I've sort of got her in this role, it's just like she's helping me even more, which is which is great. It's but a beautiful thing. To it's see a great that. thing, and it, yeah. you, you got to love. You only get one mum, and you got to, you got to look after. Her. I don't tell her that. I don't. I'm not the sort of one to like the boy to go up to your mum and say, oh, I love your mum or my dad, or I love your dad, but you appreciate your mum and dad and they know that anyway, so you don't have to say it, you know, but I've got a great family network, uh, brothers and my cousins as well. Everyone's really supportive of me and um, every it's just, it's just great. My granddad was a big part of my life as well and um, I'm just gutted that he's not here to see what we're doing because he would have loved it as well and he would have had so much advice for me as well. But um, we're doing it, I'm doing it for him as well. I'm doing it for his honour as well, which is part of it. Because one of the, one of the main reasons why I mentioned all this is because you know a couple of years ago you know you were at university wasn't really too sure where life was going yeah. to take you then you made a decision to go into the boxing world and become yeah. pro now you're on TV with a massive following you're with Eddie Hearn you're on Matchroom you're winning your fights you're doing the business uh, you're recognised by a lot of people certainly in your own area across the country that you're the, the, this individual now 
your mum and dad, when they see you on TV, then they come over to you and go, Johnny, like, we're so proud of you. Well, I'll tell you a funny story, actually. Um, my dad is really big on TikTok now, so it's not just me getting recognised, he's getting recognised as well. Did just you say it to do with Chinese? Yeah, <laughs> he, loves yeah. The, he loves the Chinese. I said to someone I'm interviewing you, and they said, ask him about the Chinese. Oh, it's just so, it's just hilarious. So, what it is, my, my mate Tom Skinner was on The Apprentice, I don't know if you know who he is, he was on The Apprentice, he's he's a really good businessman, really grass, really hard. Is he the uh, quite confident blonde yeah, guy? Yeah, 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 and he started saying Bosch on The Apprentice. And then my dad started saying it, like as a as a follower of Tom saying Bosch, but he says it in a funny way. He says Bosch, like that, like the way he says it. And these university students and people all up and down the country have just gone mental on TikTok. The way he eats Chinese and stuff, they just started following him. He's now doing nightclub appearances up and down the country uh, at universities and they literally cheer for him. Like, And they meet him and they're like, yes, I can't believe I've met Big John. And it's just so good to see. So it's not just me getting recognised. My dad has become a TikTok star in his, in his own right as well. Could you try and give me a rendition or, or, or <laughs> an example of your dad doing Bosch? It goes a bit like, so you might say, oh, I've got Chinese tonight, lovely Saturday night treat. It's got to be done. Bash. So it's that sort of bosh that he does. So it's just something as simple as that. It's the madness of TikTok. Literally a five second, 10 second clip. There's a clip of him. It's got 3 million views of him walking out of a Chinese with a load of prawn crackers saying Chinese and I bash. And then it's just like, it's go, people go mental for it. It's just crazy world we live in, isn't it? <laughs> um, on that note of uh, social media. Yeah. Um, right. I'm going to show my age, age here. I'm 36. <laughs> yep. Part of the reason why I got into podcasting is because when I was younger, there was no such thing as podcast, YouTube or yeah. anything like that. Um, I had real no direction when I was a kid at school. I hated school. Yeah. And that's why I went into plumbing, barristers, clerking, yeah. etc. So now my pledge, my mission is to interview go-getters, entrepreneurs, athletes to inspire the younger demographics so they can listen to a conversation yeah. with Mr. Johnny Fisher or anyone and say, yeah. you know what? They've given me some motivation to do this because of what they said in their experiences, and that's my goal. Um, that's yeah. Now, I know the good side of social media, there's a downside to it, yeah. which is, you know, you could be trolled, you could be, I mean, probably heavyweight boxers probably won't because, you, you, <laughs> you know, you, you might... They still do, Lowe's, they still yeah, do, especially you, the top ones, like the ones who are the best in the sport, people like the top five heavyweights in the world, like in the country, in the world... They're still getting trolled, so you can't. You're never going to escape it. It's the, as you said, the downside of social media. People can hide behind a screen without without saying it, but they're still watching it and they're still taking interest. So yeah, just ignore them. Well, I was going to say, like you know, the old thing on Instagram, like Instagram versus reality. Yeah. What What are like people like to you in reality? Then also on Instagram or social media. I still. Because I'm early on in my career, I get 99% of what I get is all positive, which is great. And people are really behind me and really backing me. And I think it's where I've been honest with myself as well. I've not come out and said, oh, I'm going to be the world champion. I'm going to beat this guy. I'm going to do this. I've been honest. I'm saying, look, I've been given a chance. I'm going to see how far I can get. And I think people have taken to that and they're, they're, they're on board with that. But I know that you, you get the odd comment here and there and that's, that's part of life. But if you put yourself in the public eye... You're going to get negative views because you're going to get jealous people, people who don't like you. That's just the way the world works. But for me, the majority of it so far has been positive, which is great. But everyone gets negative stuff as well. Um, and, and, and with social media, 
your take on it for like the younger audience yeah. is it a good thing is it a bad thing is it in between depends how you use it what's, what's yeah your take it depends it? how you use it 100 percent. it's a great tool for promoting business your business or if you're a young up and coming uh footballer or a young kid who's in sport you can put your your videos out there and people can take notice but there's also bad people out there and you're never going to change that what social media does it amplifies what everyone thinks and what everyone feels and because people can say it within the safety of their home on a screen where they think no one's going to find out especially these people who are anonymous as well but um you've got to just take social media for what it is it's not real life it's an amplification of what them things are so you've still got to live your life and just don't get too carried away with it if you just be an honest person you'd be a real person and you look up to people on social media who are who are go-getters like you said like these entrepreneurs you put yourself in a good position it's when you start using it for the wrong things that you're going to get in trouble one of the things i love doing is going into i've been into my old school at marshall's park and spoke to a few kids there i've been into a little primary school as well and i love going in there and seeing these these children and these young adults who are trying to get better and that's that's part of what i like about being a boxer and up and coming you can sort of inspire other people to do it as well yeah that's good it's really really good um mental health uh yeah. tyson fury big advocate of it yeah. there's so many athletes that speak about it all the time um and it, and it is linked to social media i think a lot of people even if you're in sport or not they sometimes get drawn into this virtual world and they feel like yeah. they need to keep up with the joneses the so, yeah. So, yeah. so to speak stay in the public eye exactly. and stay. um and it, and it and it they come away from real life and it, they're living vicariously through through this device yeah any kind of advice that you can give people how to not be drawn into that and some people don't even realize they're in they're actually yeah. being affected well the thing is i don't know what that's like yet because Unlike people who have been to the top, I haven't. I don't know what it's like to get to the top and then come down. I've, I'm still on the rise or coming to the the pinnacle of what I am. So I've not experienced what it's like to fall off. I imagine it's very difficult because even like getting an injury and something like that, and you're like, what you've done for two years, and then you've suddenly told you can't do it or you're not you're not able to do it for a few weeks. That's a bit soul destroying in itself. So for these people like Tyson Fury, who's been to the top defeated Klitschko in his own back garden, then fall off a cliff and then just no one really give you any recognition. That must be so painful and so hard to deal with. I think of people like Paul Gascoigne and people like that who've been at the top of the sport and then just fall away. It must be so difficult to deal with that limelight because even, I'm not saying I'm nowhere, I'm nowhere near that level, but the people that come up to you in the street and where I live and they're people really friendly, imagine one day that all just goes away. You must feel like a void's been created in your life. So it is it's difficult. But what advice would I give for that? You've got to keep your family and you've got to keep your friends around you. Family and friends are what get you through life in all hurdles. And that might be another hurdle for someone in the future or someone in their life. So keep your family and friends close. And that's all that matters in life because once you strip back all that social media stuff and the phones and none of it really matters, what matters is the people that you've got around you in your life I definitely second that what, yeah. what sort of scares you or kind of gets you feeling a little bit of uncertainty because as a human regardless whether you're an athlete or not there's got to be a little bit of uncertainty in your life every so often um, uncertainty in terms of what I what I what I don't want to do, what I'm not scared of, but what I'm wary of is the fact that I've been given this opportunity. I've had to work for it, obviously. I've got to this position, but I don't want to not fulfil the potential and fulfil the hopes and aspirations of the people around me. I don't feel the pressure of the people on me because when I fight, I know it's just me in there, but I don't like let, I don't want to let people down. I don't want these people to come and pay their hard-earned money to watch me, people who support me through thick and thin. Like some of my family, friends, my dad's mates, Brad is one of them that comes to mind. He was never really a boxing fan before 
uh, I started becoming a pro and he knows it all inside out now. And these people are really like invested in my journey now. So it's up to me uh, to fulfill that and keep that dream going. And that's what I feel the, feel the weight of a little bit, but I've got to use that to my advantage. That's what keeps me grounded. That's what keeps me dedicated. That's what keeps me wanting to be keep going. So it's a blessing, but it's also something that you're wary of as well. Polar opposite side of that then, what motivates you? On the same side of the coin, it's them people that motivate me as well. The people that want to come and watch me, that want to come and see me. And what motivates me as well, other than that, is what I want to do for myself as well. I want to do something that leaves a mark on the on the world that I can make my mum and dad proud of, my family proud of. So I do it for myself, but that's just an added bonus as well that I've got these people in who are supporting me. So you want to be a champion. That's what you want to do. You want to put your name in history and say, Johnny Fisher, he was a British champion or he's an English champion or European or world champion. No one can ever take that away from you. And that manifestation of when you hold a belt or all that hard work over the years of your life, just be able to lift one up and say, I've achieved something that would just be unbelievable. So five years from now, or let's just say by the time you're 30, that's seven years, yeah? Yeah. Um, Your prediction of you as an individual, your career, where you want to get to? Seven years. The thing is, seven years seems like a long time away, but the way the years have just been going for me, like this little period of time of being a professional has gone so quickly as well. I'd love to be a, the, the minimum, my aim is to be a British champion. And I look at the people that have held the belts before, the Tyson Furies, Lennox Lewis, Joe Joyce, my, my friend and my manager, these people have been a British champion. To be among their names, Henry Cooper, it'd just be an unbelievable achievement. And then who knows from there, you could challenge for a European or a world title one day. And uh, that would be the icing on the cake. Yeah, perfect stuff. Um, okay, so when are you going to be back out, Johnny? Uh, July time, hopefully. Got this on till about the middle of May, have a rescan. Hopefully it's all healing up, get a bit of rehab on it. By June, be punching again. Six weeks for a little camp because I'm staying in staying in fitness mode now anyway. And what does that, that mean, fitness mode? like? So I'm doing a lot of swimming, lots of sprint work, lots of track work. Um, I'm still doing upper body weight sort of thing. We've sort of implemented like... Uh, adapted so we can use our arms in different ways and straps doing lots of lower body stuff I could still use my jab I could still do pads and stuff with my jab so I'll still be in the gym and in and around the gym but it's just stepping it up when you get into camp I'm I'm not in the gym three or four times a week now when I go into camp I'll be in there every day apart from Sunday so it's just that little bit of acceleration that you need for a training camp and I'll be ready to go do you know like uh, with, with weights um, yeah. I, I had you know small uh, amateur sort of background and then going over to you know what they call unlicensed yeah. or boxing on the Queensbury or Queensbury Net- now Quest, Quest. Yeah. Uh, and then also being around the, the pros I get to see the different styles and how they train and there was when I was younger when I was boxing for Bromley and Downham yeah. you know there was always this I don't want to say misconception, but it was the culture that if you do weights, you're going to become slow. And yeah. and yeah. I understand. I understand that as well. slightly. But then, as you as 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 I train with the pros, it's you do the strength work, but the right strength work yeah. to in, increase your power to knock people out. So like strength work, like deadlifts, yeah. bench press, chin ups, and stuff like that. What what kind of stuff well, do you do, and how has it helped you with your power? When I was like 18, 19 years old, I was guilty of being that guy who just was in the gym, bodybuilding exercises, bicep curls, hypertrophy. And I, I looked like a bodybuilder when I was 18, 19. And it helped with rugby a little bit because you've got to have size and for that sort of side of it. I was still doing like my fitness side with the rugby. But when I looked back when I first was boxing, I looked like a rugby player. I looked like I'm bulked up. And for boxing, the weight shouldn't be about looks and putting on size because we're all going to be big in the heavyweights anyway. We're all strong, we're all powerful. It's about accentuating that power 
and uh, doing stuff that's going to make you fluid and explosive. So all the weight stuff that I do now, it's not really, it's not hypertrophy. It's all based on like a strength and conditioning program for building the core strength. But it's not like, oh, John, right, we're doing strength today. You're going to do eight sets of bicep curls. You're going to do four sets of bench press. It's all power-related exercises, box jumps and deadlifts, like for for three reps or whatever. And you know, then exercises when they push it, push the thing through with the bar and mm. throwing punches and stuff like that. So there is a time and a place for strength work, but the crux of it has to be 90% boxing work. That's it's the most important thing, especially for amateur boxers who are fighting three three-minute rounds, three two-minute rounds. It's, cardi- it's cardiovascular, isn't it? That's, yeah. the, that's the most important thing, but it still plays its part, especially heavyweights, to be strong and to keep that strength honed in. It's not about looking good or whatever, because if I wanted to look good, I could just go down the gym, my local gym, and just pump weights and look, be like a bodybuilder. So I'm in a good place with my tra- strength and conditioning. It fits well within the, the framework of a boxing sort of training network. Do a lot of like uh, weights for your legs, like squats, front squats, that kind of stuff? Not so much uh, squats. We do a little bit of like hack squat machine and, and stuff like that. It's all like lunges and stuff and... It's important to have big, strong, powerful legs in boxing, which thankfully I've got from the rugby days and stuff. So we work on stuff, but it's not just as simple as saying we're going to do squats today, we're going to do bench press today. It's all power related. It's all functional stuff, which is what you need if you're an athlete. If you want to be a bodybuilder, you do you do your de- you do your bloody uh, what is it? Your, back and buyers, your back and buyers, your, your bro splits, and all that sort of stuff. So it's completely different to how I used to train, but I'm learning as I go, sort of thing. Yeah, good. Look, I want to say thank you for your time, mate. Uh, when thank I you. first um, set up uh, my brand a few years back, I come yeah. up with a, a mantra and a quote. Yeah. Um, this is because I had a sales company yeah. and to get the sales people in tune, I used to tell them this quote and I, I, I used to ask them to stick by it because it will bring the best out in the day. And it goes like this, be happy, never content. Yeah. Be happy, never content. Now, I've got my own interpretation That's of that, great. Johnny, but yeah. if I were to ask... Johnny Fisher, the pro athlete, the boxer. What does be happy, never content mean to you? Well, be happy, never content. Be grateful for where you are and what position you're in, but don't settle for that. Keep growing and keep reaching for, reaching for that next destination because that's what, keep, that's what makes us human. That's what makes us people who want to be successful. You're happy with where you are, but that doesn't mean you're going to stay there. You're going to keep moving forward. And that's what life's about, keep moving forward, as Rocky said. That's it. <laughs> uh, my my, you as an individual, thank you for thank your you time. Thank you for having me on, Steve. Really, really, really appreciate it. I nudge you on this one. Appreciate and um, it, if everyone has enjoyed this episode, please follow uh, Johnny and or watch out for his next fight. And also subscribe to my YouTube and, and the podcast. And remember to be happy, never content. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, mate. I cool. appreciate it. Wicked. All the best.